Good evening, everyone. It's time for another episode of the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast. So that means it's Necro Thursday, and I'm here with Jeff Kashit. How's it going, Jeff? Good, man. How you doing? Doing good, man. It's um, <clears throat> it's Friday. Actually, it's not Friday. It's Saturday. It's Saturday. Is it Saturday? Oh, shit, I thought it was Friday, too. Nah, nah. It's, it's Saturday morning. And uh, last <sighs> night, I went to go see uh, Clan of Zymox and uh, another band from Sweden called And Then There Was Silence. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I don't know either of those bands. Um, yeah, well, Zymox is like an old uh, like, <laughs> uh, electronic goth kind of band. And um, it was fun. A lot of fun. Uh, where was that at? It was at this place called Brooklyn Monarch. Where, uh, oh, no, no. It's like uh, one of the newish venues that's ha- going on in Brooklyn. Um, we played there with Nuclear Assault back right after mm. the pandemic wrapped up. And uh, Deicides played there. And uh, there's a bunch of shows going on there. And, well, it uh, sounds, sounds like a bigger venue. Yeah, it was probably like... It sold out last night, and I think the capacity is like maybe 600 people or something like that, you know? Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was cool. I was one of uh, – there was about 40 dudes wearing black uh, trench coats. I was one of them, so <laughs> 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 I thought I was nice. being original with my wardrobe, but not so much, I guess. So you went home and burned the trench coat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Cool, man. Hey, I, I got tickets for a show. Actually, uh, something speaking of something I don't do too much anymore. Um, there's a thing happening in Austin. Happened last year. I don't know how long it's been going on for, but it's new to me. Called Oblivion Fest. Oh, yeah. And yeah, and uh, I saw that Earth was playing Earth Two in its entirety. And uh, I don't know if you know me. If you know me for a long time, you know how important that record is to me. Uh, I got it about a year before I moved to Boston, and I listened to it every night for about three years to uh, to go to sleep to, and uh, just kind of get lost in. And thirty years later, they're playing it live in the city I'm now living in. I was like, "This is an opportunity I cannot miss." Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Earth Live, but I re- were you at the- they they played a show in Boston. I think you had already moved to New York. They played a show in Boston at the Linwood in like two thousand two. Or so. I don't know who you think you're dealing with here, Jeff, but uh, <laughs> I definitely have seen Earth. <laughs> I didn't see, right, him at the, I, I didn't see him at the Linwood, though. I saw him somewhere well, else. The, yeah, it was after I moved this, to New York. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, this was the Linwood 2002. We were all excited to see Earth, and it was dog shit. It was really bad. Right. And like they hadn't, they kind of been on hiatus. They were, uh, and uh, we're like, what, what's this going to be like? And it was basically like a dude with like a half stack and his girlfriend playing drums or wife or whatever. And it was like watching two people like jam in a practice space for the first time. And we're like, man, what the fuck is this? Uh, it was real, but you know, you know, Earth like. A, couple of years later sort of discovered like rediscovered themselves and started doing kind of what they're doing now that like very kind of slow uh quieter westerny kind of vibe that they got going on yeah there was that record uh hibernaculum which came out like i think what like 2007 maybe 2008 <clears throat> yeah yeah so this is like the in between the old earth and, and the new yeah. earth so I, i'm hoping this time it's uh, it, it, it's better than 
it can't be worse than the last time I saw him. Uh, I imagine so it's, it's going to be good because um, he has. Uh, it seems like like he's kind of rediscovered himself too over the last twenty years, and he's been putting out some really good music. Oh yeah, I've, I've dug everything Earth has done since there. Like, that, that record you mentioned. Um, uh, I like all that stuff a lot, but Earth Two was something different, and I know Sun kind of took that whole idea and ran with it but uh, it, it's going to be special to see the person who started that do it live yeah i saw that tour that you were talking about too and I, it was it i didn't see it with you guys because i wasn't living in town at at the time and um i was very disappointed man i was like man it's this is like really not that good and uh some of the people i was with um who are more concerned about appearances <laughs> um <laughs> We're we're going uh or praising it up and down for being brilliant, you know, and I was like, mm. you guys obviously don't know what the fuck you're talking about. So. <laughs> yeah, it was it was me, Aaron Turner, Randy, and we were just kind of stunned after the show, like, what the fuck did we just watch? You know, Dylan Carlson was dressed like he looked like an undercover cop or something like that. Like, he was wearing like a suit <laughs> and like yeah. slick back hair. I was like, he's he's trying to figure something out here, but he's not quite there yet. So they're just doing that Earth 2 thing at that uh, festival in Austin? Or are they going on tour? Are they doing more dates with that? Or, or what's the, the details? I, I'm not sure. So far, I've only seen that they're doing this one show. But, you know, like, uh, this, these kind of things are, are big now where a band goes back, you know, gets back together, plays like their, their seminal record live. Uh, I, I would expect to see more of these. <laughs> And I don't know who's in the band. Like, who's he going to get to perform with him? I mean, Earth 2 is pretty minimal, but there is, you know, multiple guitars. There's a little percussion. Uh, I'm curious to see uh, it, how they reinterpret it live. Very curious. I, could be great, could be bad, but, you know, either way, it's going to be it's gonna be something. I think it would be sick if he just went up on stage with, a, like, a earpiece and, like, a click track and just, like, a fucking wall of amps. Yeah, <laughs> did it by himself. That, how badass would that be? Actually, that would be amazing. That would be fucking amazing. That's that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Yeah, yeah. That that sounds mm. cool, man. I, I that's that's a really cool thing, man. Yeah, and Godflesh is playing the next day, and uh, I'm going to that as well. It's been a long time since I've seen Godflesh. It's been a long time since I've seen Justin, who uh, we ISIS spent a lot of time on tour with. Yeah. Yeah, he's a nice guy, man. I met him a very, years ago. Very nice guy. Yeah, very nice guy. Um, really excited about that. You know, I, haven't, I don't go out to shows much anymore, so this is kind of, uh, you know, this is exciting for me. Yeah, tonight I'm heading down to Philly, actually. Uh, there's uh -oh. um, uh, Rotting Christ, uh, Gay Rhea, and um, some other bands are playing. And it's like, it's uh, most of the bands on the bill are on Season of Mist, so... Uh, our publicist was like, Oh, come down. Like, we're going to have a get together and you know, everyone will be there and put me on the list nice. and that kind of thing. And I'll see Gordon, our mutual friend, Gordon. Oh, wow. How's Gordon doing? I haven't talked to Gordon in 15 years, maybe. Yeah. He's doing good, man. I, <clears throat> I see him from time to time. Uh, you know, it's like not to sound like a, you know, some fucking douchebag, but, uh, <laughs> but like, you know, like our, our manager does all the sort of, um, record label stuff you know so i don't really in, like interact with him on a personal level when it comes to the band 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the only person I, I really just talk to Katie, the publicist, a lot when it comes to press things. And then Gordon, I see him around. Like when we put, we roll through Philly, he's there, you know. But he's like one of these cats who's like always busy. He doesn't have time for anything, man. So you, yeah. you, have, you have to catch him somewhere. So I'll see him tonight, and I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. Tell him to say hi, please. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. I'd uh, love to see Gordon again. Uh, other than that, Mike, I think I mentioned off air things I've been checking out. Uh, I've been checking out your podcast, Everything Went Black. Oh, thank you. I Well, you know, I was going through uh, my podcast and trying to make space because I got a road trip coming up. And I saw like I had like 100 episodes downloaded. And uh, I was like, I got to get through some of these. So I listened to your most recent one about hip hop, which is a music uh, form that's very near and dear to my heart. That was really uh, an interesting episode. Uh, I listened to you and Randy talk about Bad Lieutenant. Oh man, that's a that's an old one. That's a good one though, man. That's that's a great one, man. I yeah. I love that movie. Oh, hell and yeah. uh, it, it kind of inspired me. I think to, to to pick the movie we're gonna we're gonna watch uh, we're gonna talk about today. It's uh, another Nicolas Cage movie, and this is in Bad Lieutenant is a great example of Nicolas Cage giving an absolutely batshit performance, and it completely one hundred percent works. We're talking about the uh, Bad Lieutenant Port of Call, New Orleans. Yes. <laughs> not not the original one with uh, Harvey Keitel by Abel Ferrara, that directed by Abel yeah. Ferrara. So that's like a, a, a kind of a maligned, I wouldn't even call it a sequel, but reimagining of that. Like no one, no one really checked that movie out, but it's a, a hidden gem, you know, kind of similar to this one. Yeah. Well, well I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, <laughs> we're going to talk about that. Uh, and I listened to your Death Zones episode too. Yeah, with that you, that you did with Ralph. Uh, that that kind of surprised me. I didn't know you were uh, didn't know you were a fan. I'm not. I wasn't for a long time. Actually, I I never yeah. listened to them. And uh, you know, there was a, a a young lady that was in my life for a period of time that was a big fan of theirs, and she was like trying to urging me to to give them a chance. And then I was like, Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Okay. New metal. Whatever. Like. Yeah. Yeah. But then like. I, I probably hanging out with her in her pl- at her place like one morning or something like that. I can't. She put it on and I was like, man, this is actually pretty fucking cool, man. And I'd sort of been a fan of theirs for maybe for the last like ten or twelve years. Yeah, yeah. I think it was two thousand or something. We were on tour, and Aaron, Aaron Harris really liked that record, White Pony. And like, same thing with me. I was very dismissive. I was like, oh, new metal. They have a DJ. No, next. And then he played it, and uh, uh, when he was driving, which was a lot, and it kind of broke me down. Like eventually, I had to admit, like I actually like this. <laughs> well, there was you know? a lot of similarities to what you guys were doing. I felt like in their later material, like I felt like there was a lot of like similarities to what ISIS was doing, and that's what kind of made me give them more of a second chance, I guess. Yeah, I, I think I said this in an interview about Palms. So Death Tones always had more in common with bands like ISIS and, and, and that kind of ilk than, 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 than they did with Korn, I thought. Like, very progressive sort of take on, on metal and heavy music. And yeah, they're a cool band, man. I like those guys. Also, that I, you know, I love all that kind of sad boy, like, you know, like stuff like that too, you know, and, and you know, that yeah. emo y kind of like heartbroken lyrics and all that. So that. They have like a goth feel somewhat at times, which I appreciate. Totally. Like they're influenced by bands that really influenced me, like The Cure, The Smiths. Like I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, so that was fun. I went down a little like Mike Hill rabbit hole, you know, for like you know, uh, like a ten hour chunk at, at work. Well, thank you. Um, so cool. yeah, and I uh, checked out Bad Lieutenant because of it. And uh, what about you, man? What have you been checking out? Well, I was uh, I was away for my wor- for work for an entire week, so I didn't watch anything. But then when I got back, I like submerged myself in a bunch of stuff that I was wanting to see. So. Uh, off the top, there was a there's a movie called Ghoul that's on uh, Tubi, and it's like a fo- found footage film that takes place in uh, Ukraine, actually. Oh, okay. And, uh, it, it's actually really good, so I recommend that one. It's, uh, it's got witchcraft, cannibalism, manifestations oh. of demons, like all that kind of sh- good shit, you know what I mean? That's good. Uh, completely on the other end of the spectrum, <clears throat> there's a movie called The Rapture. Have you have you hmm. ever heard of this movie? Mimi Rogers and David Duchovny are in this movie. No, I definitely haven't seen that. I'd remember that. Very weird, very strange cerebral film. <clears throat> it's um, I don't think anyone. I haven't really heard of anyone who liked this movie or even heard of this movie. And it came out in the nineties, and it has to do with mm-hmm. uh, belief in God, the end of the world, and you know who gets left behind and like all that kind of stuff. Mm. I mean, it's a very, uh, I would say it almost has like this pro Christian vibe to it, you know, but nonetheless, it's very interesting though. It's like, um, you know, coming at it from, uh, you know, an atheistic, uh, standpoint, it's an interesting Mm. piece of, um, of fiction. You know what I mean? Oh wow! Yeah, when we said David Duchovny, I assumed like this must be like a '90s movie. Yeah, yeah. I saw yeah. a spoonful of sugar on Shutter, which is uh, oh yeah, features uh, David Yao, the singer from the Jesus Lizard. Are, are, have you ever heard of that band, the Jesus Lizard? <laughs> <laughs> no, are they a newer band? Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course, I saw them in like '95. <laughs> it's a um very good uh it's kind of in my opinion kind of like tapping out the uh the evil evil babysitter uh subgenre you know mm. but uh it was it's definitely worth the watch it's on shutter uh and then wait I wait also, Did, does david yell play the babysitter no 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 no, no. Oh. There's, some, there's, some, <laughs> there's some uh an actress plays the babysitter he okay plays, oh, he plays this super sketchy father figure that you don't even know if it's actually her father you know yeah okay it, yeah. but there's some weird role playing going on I, I i don't really under it's like uncomfortable and that's why I, the movie is very uncomfortable you know and i like okay it. yeah well you can't stay on anything he's gonna be like okay you're a sketchy guy like that, that, he, that that's just he's just got that look yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and he's on. He's he's not in the film a lot, but when he's in, he makes an impact. You know, cool, awesome. And uh, as far as films go, last but not least, there's uh, the stylist, which is the full feature version of a short that Brandon Legion recommended to me a few years ago. And uh, okay, awesome. It's on. That's on Shutter. Uh, yeah, you, I don't. You've been original, talking about that one a lot. Yeah, yeah. The um, the short. Is on. I saw it on the Arrow app, but I, I don't know if Shutter has the short as well, and it's uh, very good. In okay. some way, in some ways, it's like an like a female maniac. 
Oh, interesting. You know what I mean? Like, you know how it, it, there's things about it that remind me of Maniac. So, yeah, I think uh, it's definitely an interesting film. Maybe a film that I'd like to cover at some point. Okay. Yeah, I'll check it out. Yeah. And just uh, one, one last thing. Um, yesterday, I received uh, in the mail pictures of the apocalypse. It's uh, the first new Thomas Ligotti output in it's got to be over 10 years, right? And uh, it's a book of poetry. Yeah. Uh, it's put out by our friends over at uh, Shiraptera Press, which is part of Cadabra Records. And it's uh, illustrated by uh, Jonathan Dennison, who's the, um, the proprietor of uh, uh, Shiraptera Press and uh, Cadabra Records. And it's uh, I I I got the deluxe. I ordered it a while a while ago, so I got the uh, you know deluxe. It's got a book with an interview with Legati. It's got outtakes for the um, illustrations, you know. And there's mm. uh, in the book itself has a forward by David Tibet of Current ninety three. Um, oh yeah, well yeah, those two Legati and Current ninety three collaborated quite some time ago on a CD slash book. Which I do, I do own. Yeah, yeah, and and the uh, you know the illustrations are great. They're um, are you familiar with the artwork of Lee Brown Coy? I think you may have mentioned him before. Yeah. Well, he's um, you know, definitely someone that's in that weird fiction genre. Uh, he illustrated the covers for uh, a chap book uh, publication called Whispers, which published some of the early horror fiction of uh, Carl Edward Wagner. And directly, his artwork has directly inspired uh, a lot of the stuff in the first season of True Detective. And uh, I, I picked up uh, a book of his artwork when I was up at ne Necronomicon last summer. And it's very, very cool. Okay. So, um, awesome. Yeah, and that, that's, that's like, if anyone follows me on Instagram, you see that, you know, me holding the book and pretending I'm reading it, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, it's a, it's a great package, man. So I definitely go check it out. Um, it's great. And there's an event coming up in June that I will be attending. I'll be there the entire weekend. And it's called the Nightlands Fest. And it's on June 2nd and 3rd at this venue called Cathedral, with a K, in Hamilton, New Jersey, which is uh, close to Philadelphia and uh, South Jersey. And there's a standalone event on June 1st which is uh, a reading of the poetry of Thomas Ligotti. The, you know, it's, it's, it's a, an event that's organized around pictures of apocalypse. And um, that's, mm. that's at a place called uh, the Book Restoration Bindery in Haddonfield, New Jersey, which is a neighboring town. I'm showing up June 1st, and I'll be there the entire time. And I'll be hanging out. Uh, the guys from uh, Cadabra Records are going to be there. Uh, St. Joshi is going to be there. If any anyone who's into Lovecraft and Clark Ashton Smith and weird fiction and all that will know his name because he's all over any kind of annotated editions of those of those authors' works. Or if you watch documentaries, St. Joshi's always a guy who comments on it. He's like a, a specialist on weird fiction and you know horror in general. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, there's music. There's going to be some specifically curated vendors you know which i'm assuming means that you're not going to be able to buy like a like a jason Voorhees doll or anything like that there you'll probably you know, <laughs> get like some really cool like artwork or music or you know some sort of 
very curated kind of stuff you know and that's that's awesome that sounds like a blast man and um i actually had uh i had chris uh uh bozzone on as a guest on everything went black uh to talk about you know cadaver records in general and we touched on this stuff and uh if anyone well, it's interested in further information. Just head over to Everything Went Black, and there's um, there's some stuff on this. Apparently, I had that one downloaded, so I should listen to it. Yeah, no, nah, it's it. I, I'm I've been looking forward to this thing. I know it's a couple months out, but I'm really looking forward to it. And you said Legati is not going to be there, though. Not not the man himself. Of course not. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that guy would ever show up for anything like this. Yeah, like he seems like a complete and utter recluse and, you know, reclusive strange old man or something like that. It would be awesome if there was like, uh, like if like throughout the whole thing, I noticed like some shadowy figure like in the darkness. And I was like, who is that guy? Oh, that was Tom. <laughs> that was Tom. He just you know wanted to observe, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently he lives in Florida of all places. You don't expect that guy to be like just chilling in Florida. That would rule if he was like this sort of like right wing, like, like <laughs> <laughs> fucking chud. Yeah, he's got like guns and shit like that. Oh my god! Yeah, this is. The, I mean, nothing surprises me anymore. So who knows? I, I literally know very little about the, the the guy. What he's like as a person, you know, he's only done a handful of interviews, and uh, seems to have contempt for a lot of things. So I'll say that in the interviews I did see. Yeah. Well, you know, that goes hand in hand with uh, the other side of the aisle is to have contempt for things. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, before we get going, I just want to shout everyone out, all of our uh, horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse, the uh, the growing legions of uh, listeners and everything. And uh, so, of course, starting on Monday, my, my good friend Brandon Legion, who I mentioned earlier, brings us Horror Wolf 666. On Tuesday, we have... A, what I consider an expert on extreme music, Jackie Smith with Into the Necrosphere. Wednesday is Everything Went Black, which is like a, uh, you never know what you're going to get on that one. You got music, you got martial arts, you got art, you got filmmaking, you got all sorts of stuff on that one. Um, Thursday, of course, is Necro Thursday, which is uh, the podcast that you're listening to right now. Friday brings us Breaking Break the Apocalypse featuring John Draper, Mike Scandato's brother. And that's like a uh, you know, a commentary on current events, I would say. That's that's it's more than that, but it kind of if you were to encapsulate what they do, I would say that is like a nice blurb about that that podcast. Mm-hmm. Sunday, the Lord's Day, is uh Soul Knox, brought to you by Carl Hikara. <laughs> And uh, Carl and I are actually going to be embarking on a, a split effort uh, to, to start discussing the work of Carl Edward Wagner on a sub-series that we're calling Darkness Weaves. And uh, mm. one, one episode is going to be on Everything Went Black on the normal stream, and then one episode is going to be on Soul Knox, and we're just going to alternate. We're going to start off with In a Lonely Place, the, the newly republished Wagner collection of horror fiction, which has some of his more important works that have influenced a lot of things in uh, in popular culture in the last fifteen years, and um, so yeah, that's like a thing Carl and I are going to be working on together. Awesome, yeah. So that brings us to tonight's film, 
You want you want to yes. give the uh, the rundown on that, Jeff? Yes, today we are doing the Wicker Man 2006 remake of the classic 1973 film, the British film, my personal favorite horror film of all time, the original. Yeah, I'm quite fond of that movie as well. <clears throat> you know, it's part of that uh, triumvirate of um, folk horror. Even though that that um, genre <clears throat> has li- has existed way before this, the ones that brought it into prominence it would be uh, Blood and Satan's Claw, The Wicker Man, and Witchfinder General. But uh, yes. The Wicker Man, I think, stands out as as the superior of those three films. Yeah, definitely. Maybe it's sort of a right place, right time thing where people of a certain age discover it when they're young, they grow up with it. Um, I I do remember, I followed this remake since its inception and just the the general reaction to uh, people, someone remaking The Wicker Man was overtly negative. Um, I'm of a different mind about remakes. When I love something and I've seen it a million times, I know it inside and out, I kind of get excited to see a different version of this thing I love. Maybe there'll be some new insight, something maybe that, you know, that goes a different way. But I was really excited about this. And everyone said I was insane. (laughs) (laughs) Are you daft, man? (laughs) Uh, Are you daft, Mike? Um, Yeah, especially like friends from England. Like they were like downright hostile about this. Um, I, I, yeah, man. I mean, that's that's uh, that's their shit, man. That sort of Cornish, uh, you know, folksy pagan kind of stuff is that's that's like, uh, you know, it's like like a German making an America a Western or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And uh, you know, uh, Nicholas Cage, I think was uh, was the person who really got this off the ground. Like ever since I started reading about it, Nicholas Cage's name was was in the mix and i found out like um your friend there johnny ramon turned him on to the wicker man the original my friend <laughs> yeah you know your friend <laughs> um apparently nicholas cage and him hung out and uh johnny ramon had some insane movie poster collection and nicholas cage goes what's that one and uh yeah you know it's uh, the wicker man and like that's what that's how he discovered this film and i guess he saw it and was so you know, inspired by what he saw, like, oh, we're going to remake this. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so this became like a Nicolas Cage project. And, you know, I was like, okay, this is happening. And then, you know, the, the next big piece of information, Neil Butte is going to direct. Are you, are you familiar with him? Uh, he wrote in the company of men, right? He wrote and directed it. Yes. Directed that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's his kind of background. He was like a, an indie guy. He he came from the world of, of theater. He was a playwright and directed plays. And it really shows in his earlier films. They do have that kind of feel to him. So this was 2006, Mike. So this was like when that whole remake boom was happening and they were getting like that platinum doom look and they were just getting like kind of video directors. And I thought, wow, okay, Neil Butte, this guy's a real director. This is going to be interesting. He brings things to the table. He brings ideas to the table. Um, and then Dread started. I saw the trailer. I was like, oh, okay. Not bad. Different. Cool. They're Different. obviously hiding. Yeah, they're obviously keeping the ending under wraps. Uh, and then I remember uh, we were on tour at the time. 
checking Rotten Tomatoes. It was the day before the movie opened, and there was no reviews yet, which is usually at that time a very bad sign. That means this was not being screened for critics. You know, if it's like, you know, 11.59 at uh, Thursday, right before you know, midnight on Friday, and there's no reviews for it, that's usually me. Yeah, that means the movie's a piece of shit. And uh, so, yeah, the reviews came out, got like a 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. I was like, okay, I'm still going to go to see this. I uh, We were on tour. We were on a bus tour at that point. And I spent like, I know I mentioned this story before, or told the story. I spent like $65 to see this movie. <laughs> Wait, how much did you spend on this? I just spent like 65 bucks. Well, see, because we were on a bus tour. And once the bus is parked, you know this, the bus oh, doesn't yeah. move. Like the driver, yeah, goes away. And so we're just kind of sitting in like a parking lot of like some diner in the middle of fucking nowhere, California. And I'm like, I'm going to see this. This is a remake of my favorite movie of all time. Who's coming with me? <laughs> and everyone was like, yeah, no. Uh, so, yeah, I had to get a cab to the movie theater, paying for the movie, get, you know, get a soda. I'm not really a popcorn guy. <laughs> and then take a cab back. So all this, yeah, sent me back like 65, 70 bucks. And wow. I, yeah, and I was kind of in shock by what I just saw. Like, I was like, I don't know how I feel about feel about this. And, you know, over time, the movies become kind of infamous. And, um, you know, I just thought it'd be kind of cool to revisit and, and really discuss, is the movie really one of the worst movies ever made? Like, uh, well, I mean, do you have any sort of like, I mean, I know you love the original, yeah. obviously. Yeah, the original's great. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I this is only the second time I've seen this. Like, I, I rent, I remember... Oh wow! Out of, out of sheer boredom, one one weekend renting the DVD of this when um when I lived in uh, Greenpoint because uh you know the photo play one of my favorite places in the planet Earth you know that closed unfortunately had every movie you can ever imagine that you wanted to see and I was like I barely made it through the first viewing man you know that's that's kind of how I felt about it but I you know I I did watch the entirety of it and then just recently because we we're going to talk about it. I rewatched it, you know. So, second time mm. around was better than the first, and we'll, I'll just say that for starters. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would say this is either my third or fourth time seeing it. Uh, I saw it in the theater on tour, came back, and I bought. I remember buying the DVD at Kim's Video about a month before it came actually came out. Do you remember Kim's Video? Oh, dude, they're, they're gone now. I'm not calling them out, but they dude. would have releases like months before they came out. Yeah. That was like one of my favorite fucking places in Manhattan, man. Kim's Video and, and See Here Books, both of which are gone by the wayside at this point and forgotten by most people, were like two of my favorite places in Manhattan to do things and check out stuff and, and like rent. Th I mean, Kim's was like, what, three floors? Yeah. 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 Was, <laughs> I love that place. That was... Uh... When I lived in New York for those two years, I was there at least once a week, dropping a hundred, two hundred bucks on movies. Yeah, and St. Mark's Place like was a way different place back then too. I mean, you could get, there was like uh, you know, I knew I, New York was just different, man. Like you go walk down St. Mark's and it was like you could run into like you know, 
like Chloe Savigny or something like that, you know, and like, I don't know, the Roger Moret or something would be there, you know, like you would just see like the most random people there, like just there, you know? Yeah. uh, Yeah, totally. Yeah. But yeah, that Kim's was great, man. I used to love that place. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I was like, Oh man, they had the, the, like, Oh, the different ending. So I was like, see, I have to see this. This is my favorite movie. Uh, the original is my favorite movie of all time seen the remake now there's a different version of the remake i have to see this and uh you know it's funny i think that the, the changes they made uh to the director's cut were were meant to fix some of the problems people had with the theatrical cut but it it made it even more comical to, to a lot of people yeah uh, i don't know which version you saw actually did you see the director's cut or no i think i saw that well i'm not sure either actually because i i did i barely paid attention the first time i saw it and then because I, I didn't see it in a theater. I saw it on, on DVD. So a lot of my mind was wandering because I started not being into the, into the movie. And then yeah. the second time around, like last week, the version I saw, I don't, it didn't seem that different than the DVD I saw like back in like 2007 or whatever, you know? Yeah. Well, from what I understand is they edited out the whole thing with uh, Nicolas Cage being tortured and prepared. Oh, spoilers, by the way. We're going to spoil the movie. It's, you know, if you haven't seen the original, I don't know why the fuck you're listening to this. Um, yeah, the movie kind of spoiled itself, really. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. You're remaking something that it entirely hinges on the ending. So once you already know the ending, I mean, you know, you know the movie. You know, it's it's a strange choice of a film to remake because it's not. It may be obscure by mainstream film. You know. Uh, Culture, but like, um, if you're a horror fan of even a mild horror fan, you've seen The Wicker Man. Yeah, no, I, I would say so. So, and I mean, that is sort of like the, the, the whole inception, everything about this movie, I would say it is a little mis, well, maybe not a little, maybe it's very misguided. Um, I th- the original works because it, it's such a great balance of. Uh, of tone and strangeness and silliness. And then you have this horrific ending here. A lot of that is missing. Like the movie, I mean, I wouldn't say it's not atmospheric, but it's really not like, I don't know. It doesn't have that same feel as the original. That's for sure. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, it's, <laughs> Where the original has like a feel and an atmosphere to it, this primarily feels like it was made for like the Sci-Fi Channel or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, um, I, I did write this down. Um, Neil Butte said he was an interesting choice for uh, director. I don't think he understands horror movies at all. I think uh, there, there's there's these weird jump scares, like not like. Okay, so I get a little background, a little difference. Uh, instead of um, Sergeant Howie, in this movie we have Edward Malus, as, uh, played by Nicolas Cage. And he's a bike, bike cop. He's, you know, motorcycle cop. And he's dealing with some traumatic... He, uh, there was an accident on, on the road. He couldn't save this wife, this girl, and uh, this mother and her daughter. And Nicolas Cage is, uh, is, is really depressed. Yeah, and, yeah, he's uh, taking medication and thinking about retiring from the police force and things like that. 
Right, and so he's kind of at a low point. In this low point, he gets a letter from a girl he used to date saying she's living in this cult on this on this island with a cult, and her daughter's missing. Would you please come help? And so that's how they get Nicolas Cage to uh, the island. There's a little bit more, you know, backstory to Nicolas Cage's character. Like he said, he's got the, he's suffering from PTSD, and you see he's having nightmares about. Uh, this mother and daughter that he couldn't save. And I think that they try to shoehorn in some horror with those scenes where he's thinking back to the accident and it comes off as unintentionally cheesy and funny. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what I just want to add though, at this point of the, I, I actually thought the beginning, this most recent watch of this, I thought it was actually kind of cool. Like the beginning, the setting, like the mm. setup of the story, it's very classic. Like, um, it, 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 if you read like a Adam Neville uh, novel or short story or something like that, that setup is like almost like something that he would write, you know, where this guy is at his low point and he's dealing with some like traumatic experience and then something from the past like wanders into his life that gives and at this point in his life, he like finds like that as something the next thing to maybe bring him out of what the current state that he's in, you know, right. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. That stuff is good, but I, it almost like Neil Bueller, we're making a horror movie here. We need some scares. Yeah. And, you know, even the way the smash, the title card comes on is like kind of cringy because, you know, you have the credits, the opening credits kind of playing over like the, uh, the action, much like you would see in like a TV episode or something like that. You don't see a lot of that these days. <laughs> and, you know, then the accident happens and boom, the Wicker Man comes across the TV, the, the, the screen with this really dramatic music. Which, by the way, Angelo Baldinamente scored this movie. Yeah, I was going to add that. And uh, But you know what's cool, though? is it? And I think films don't have scores like that, obviously, anymore. But there's like... Uh, it, it, it made me think of another Nicolas Cage movie, that 8mm. Movie, that oh, yeah, you guys... You and Mike covered that. Yeah, and there's a thing that happened in the late 90s and, and uh, the early 2000s where there's like these like brooding ominous scores that uh they just no one no one does that anymore you know totally yeah and you i can almost hear them saying like you know going for like a 1960s kind of thing psycho with the score yeah and, and that's one of the ways this movie is a little misguided um the original is a great balance of tone with these kind of free-spirited uh cult hippies kind of living on this island they're singing songs and 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 dancing and, and the tone in this one when he gets to summer's isle not summer isle in this it's summer's isle uh very okay okay whatever um it's very fascistic very fascistic yeah. in some ways yeah yeah like the islanders they're they're openly hostile towards him and 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 cool to him and they're not fun happy people like the, the the tone almost immediately when he gets to the island is very dour and and and, and serious and and so right there like it, it's branching from i mean plot wise this movie basically is almost beat for beat the original right it, with, with it, some it, differing overtones though like there are certain things that you know like the sort of the reveal is a little bit different than in the um than in the original you know that kind of stuff yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, 
but yeah, I, I, here it is a matriarchy. It is a an island filled, populated mostly by women, and that's something that kind of plays out in Neil Butte's uh, earlier films, gender politics. And you know, uh, I, I know he's been accused of being misogynistic, and uh, I think you know it's an interesting discussion to have. Yeah, but he brings that to this movie and. I gotta say, I, I thought it added. I, I, I don't know exactly what he was trying to say. It really, okay, he, he made the island all women, and they're all evil. Right. They're <laughs> all mean, exactly. They're like these like fascist women, man hating women, basically, because all the men are like these broken shadows of themselves. You know. Yeah, they're mute. A lot of them. Yeah, and they're they're just there to like provide like jizz. You know what I mean? So they can yeah. propagate the race and all that stuff and. Uh, and do manual labor, you know? Um, yeah. And, and, but you would think, like, that's the thing. And that's why you can tell it was written by, like, a guy like Labute Because, you know, there's it's basically uh, a more extreme version of a patriarchal society, but just with women, you know? Right. I, the whole point of, like, this kind of, you know, thing is that women would sort of have a different take on how to run, like, an operation like this, you know? Yeah, and uh, and but yeah, they, they they pretty much run it just like they do in the original. I I just I don't know. That was a strange touch to me. I don't really think Neil Butte had anything interesting to say about gender politics. Like uh, you don't really know. Like are you, are you supposed to hate the women and night like Nicolas Cage? Uh, and what and what are you saying with all this? Well, no, I, women think are evil. I think that's kind of the point he's making actually, because Nicolas Cage, there's really nothing. Like, he, he didn't really do anything wrong. He was kind of lured there. He was looking for a kid, you know, which, you know, spoiler, turned out to be his daughter, you know. Yeah, which, yeah, he saw coming from a mile away, yeah, which and, is a new, a new twist. Yeah, it's a new twist. And, um, you know, he was, he was manipulated to come there. And the women are there as, like, you know, the matriarchs are, are kind of evil. You know, in this case, and that so he he's clearly the the hero, quote unquote, of the story, and and they're like this evil, predatory, you know, race of of you know people there. You know, yeah, I I kind of flip flopped back and forth between it, I couldn't tell if I liked Cage's character or didn't. Not unlike Sergeant Howie in the original, although I would say in the original, you're not really supposed to like Howie, no, but you're by not. the end, yeah. His situation is so horrific. You empathize with him. I think they kind of, they did get that right with, with with this character. Although they make Cage's character a lot more likable, but he has shadows of the original character, uh, where he's kind of um, you know shows him being a nice guy, but then he's like banging. Okay, this is official police business. Yeah, and he kind of turns into like this different guy, and I I don't know if like it plays out so funny. That, like, I wonder, like, do they not know how ridiculous this all is? Do they not know how silly this all feels? Well, the, one of the problems, I think, is setting it in the United States. You know what I mean? Because, yes. Because um, yeah. the, whole, the whole crux of, like, full car is, like, Christianity and paganism. You know what I mean? And, like, in, right. Brit in Britain, you know, before the Romans brought Christianity to England, to ancient Britain, they were you know, pagans, like they had all these different religious beliefs that had to do with nature and the sun and the moon and the tides and all this kind of stuff. And 
the whole point of the original was like this like Christian repression versus the old culture, which in some ways people might look at as being a little bit more positive. You know, there's like free love and women running around naked and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and uh, but the price is like a dark, there's a darkness, there's a darker undercurrent with the, with the, being able to live in a society like that, you know, and that's, and you might even comment on that saying that, well, that obviously someone who's like a Christian wrote this because they wouldn't maybe look at things differently. You know, I don't know, but that's, that's w- one of the flaws of this film. It's that it's taking place in a country that only has just over 200 years of history, you know? Yeah, exactly. What would have been more interesting would maybe to be to set this in earlier times in America where America was really new and you have like that kind of that kind of schism between like the old ways and and, and them trying to create something new in America. To me, that would have worked a lot better. Absolutely, because there is a crossover between uh, Native American mysticism and European mysticism as a result of being settled by Europeans. Like yes. there, there were some things that would... Uh, I'm trying to remember all this shit, but there's like uh, certain things where they just connected and became a different thing, a different belief system that had its roots in the older beliefs of both Europe and Native America. So that's that would have been a really cool angle to play in this, but none of that was really played out. No, yeah. So yeah, it, it's yeah, it's in America, it's modern times and it it just it, yeah, I mean, there's an inherent silliness even to the original. It's sort of like a, a silly ish movie. And it knows that though. This movie is like deadly serious. Yeah. And uh in my research Nicolas Cage has said that uh there was a mischievous mind like to making this like we knew we were in, like making a funny movie and then he went on to say like he wanted to wear a ridiculous handlebar mustache in this movie <laughs> and he wanted to keep the bear costume on the entire ending i'm not sure i buy that that like oh this is supposed to be funny i don't the movie does not feel at all like this is like that this is supposed to be tongue in cheek did, did you get that? I did not get a tongue-in-cheek vibe at all. But that, I did have questions about the bear suit, honestly. I was like, I'm like, part of me was like, after watching this thing for however long, it's like, a, first of all, though, it's 102 minutes long, too, you know? Yeah. So after watching the first, uh, you know, 90 minutes of this movie, I was like, this bear costume, I guess, makes sense because it's fucking ridiculous. And <laughs> you know what I mean? And a lot of this yeah. movie struck me as being kind of like ridiculous, I guess, you know? Well, at one one point, Nicolas Cage in bear costume runs up and punches a woman in the face. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it, it, like, I, I, I don't know. Like, if, if they were going for intentional comedy, the tone is all wrong. Which which brings me back to the movie uh, uh, Bad Lieutenant. That movie is absurd. It knows it's absurd. And everything that happens in it is absurd. Yeah. And Werner Herzog Herzog, directed it. Yeah. So, of course, he's a master filmmaker, you know? Yeah. He nails it. And here, like, I'm like, if that's what you're going for, you have failed miserably. And uh, I I guess it would have been more comical to see Nicolas Cage in a a, a fucking handlebar mustache burning alive in a bear suit, but I I don't know. And uh, funny enough, that Midsummer, 
you know? Oh, <laughs> As dude, a, I, you oh, know, everyone knows how I feel about Midsummer, man. It's like, I know, very disappointing. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's like, it's like fucking, it's pointless to even have made that film, if you ask me, really. Oh, man. One of my favorites of the last 20 years. Love that movie. Um, yeah. There's an even longer better there, than this. There's an even longer version of that out there, too, apparently. Yeah, there is. I've seen it. Um, <laughs> stick with the theatrical cut. I'll just say that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. Like, uh, I remember, Mike, back in the day when I got this on DVD, I watched this with the director's commentary because that, I used to love those. I don't know if the, those are a thing anymore. Oh, dude, 100%, man. All these Blu-rays that you buy have all this like commentary tracks and all that sort of stuff yeah i i uh i just unearthed my uh dvd collection so i could find this and um i gotta start buying them again i really miss collecting these things um but anyway i watched this with the director's commentary back in 2006 or so because you know interesting stuff it is it'd be interesting to get the director's insight into this movie yeah and there's no hint at all that this was funny or or that anything went wrong in the production of this like listening, <laughs> like listening to this guy tony if you talk about this movie you would think he's making fucking gone with the wind in his mind i mean at one point he compares it to a terrence malick movie oh man yeah i i remember that because at that point like terrence malick was my favorite director still one of my favorite directors and this is definitely not a terrence malick movie i mean um i will say uh, it's one of Neil Butte's more visually appealing movies. For such a, a, a troubled movie and how like ridiculous it turned out, uh, this is one of the best-looking movies, bad movies, I, I would say, that, that's ever been made. Uh, I think the costuming is great. I yeah. think the look of Summer's Isle is fantastic. Uh, it, it feels real. And I love a lot of those overhead shots. Um which would be done with drones today, but uh, there's a lot of these cool overhead shots that show Nicolas Cage kind of wandering. You see, like, you know, he, the, the, the imprint of the ground looks like a, a, a beehive. There's, there's some cool ideas here visually. Uh, it, it's a great-looking movie, and that's initially what I remember from first time around watching. I was like, oh, everyone hates this movie. I thought it looked pretty cool. Is this movie really as bad as people say it is? And that's kind of what I wanted to why i wanted to watch this again and uh yeah <laughs> there, there's some uh interesting cast members in this too by the way you know yeah oh yeah we've got ellen burston she plays sister summer's isle you know of course we know ellen from the exorcist of course and uh, uh requiem for a dream requiem for a dream we have francis the great francis conroy as dr moss she's like a you know, part of this little operation here. And we know her from Six Feet Under, American Horror Story. A lot of TV, a lot of television. Yeah, yeah. Know? But she's great. I love her. Yeah. Uh, another, another. Uh, I'm a fan of hers too, Molly Parker. She's also been in a lot of television. She plays us. Uh, oh, she's great. She plays two roles, Sister Rose and Sister Thorn. And also we know her from Six Feet Under and Deadwood. And a lot of these kind of like late 90s, early 2000s actors and actresses. You know, Lee, Lee, Lee Sobieski. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know who I'm talking about? Oh, of course. She was in a terrible movie called The Glass House that I remember when I was, uh, you know, a bit younger. Yeah, she was like the uh, the promiscuous daughter in Eyes Wide Shut. 
I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. She <laughs> must've been like what, 12 or something in that. She was really young in that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I but, forgot that that was her. Holy she kind of plays a similar role in this one with sister, as yeah. sister honey, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we should mention that like, yes, in, in the original it's apples. That is their main crop here. It is honey. honey. And there's a nice bee motif going on, going yeah. on throughout the movie. And, um, yeah, the act. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And and uh, Nicholas Cage's uh, ex, you know, the woman who kind of lured him out here. That's uh, I don't I don't know this actress per se. Kate no. Kate Behan. She plays Willow. Which yes, um, Willow Woodward is yeah. her last name, right? And a nice little nod to the star of the original, yeah. Edward Woodward. And and the character in the original is named Willow too, and that was the Britt Eklund character. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um. How did I not catch that? Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but since you mentioned the acting, I guess we'll, we'll go there. You have some great heavy hitters in this, and they all seem kind of laughably bad. Um, yeah, and that, as, that proves my yeah. theory, though, about especially with Nicolas Cage. Because, like, I, I, yeah. I'm a fan of his. Oh, like, I, I, I like Nicolas Cage. Like, I, I, I think he's definitely has some flaws, you know, but I, in general, I like him. I really think that he responds to the director because he's been yes. brilliant in certain films where he's well-directed, you know, like mm-hmm. when David Lynch directs him or uh, Panos Cosmatos directs him, you know, it's like he shoots. Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog, yeah, exactly. He's great. But when there's like a, a weaker director, he just, he's he needs that, he needs leadership, I feel like, you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, totally. I feel like he steamrolled Neil LeBute and was just, I mean, he is Nicolas Caging all over this fucking movie. Yeah. I mean, like, whoa, oh, oh, police officer. And then, oh, is that a shark you got there? Like, <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. Get off the bike. Dude, that part made me laugh. I remember seeing that in the theater, and the entire theater was fucking howling, laughing. Yeah. When he points the gun, he's like, get off, step away from the bike. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I can just imagine Neil Abute just like sitting like in the director's chair with his head in his hands, like, "What have I done?" Um, he's out of control in this movie. He is just fucking, you know. One minute he's kind of doing the, the "Oh, gee, shucks, I'm a nice guy" thing, and then he's screaming and yelling and punching. He, he drop him. kicks Lily Sobieski at one yeah, point. He sidekicks her, yeah, and, he, and he's calling them bitches and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you bitch! Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's so absurd. And then you have you mentioned you didn't know who this actress was. I think she might have been. I think this might have been a career starter and ender for her. I don't know. <laughs> oh, and she is terrible in this. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah, uh, she plays it with one expression on her face of like surprise and sadness the whole time, and she's very pouty. And I, I guess maybe that's the point. Maybe you're supposed to hate this character, but like from the moment she was on screen, I, I could not stand her. I thought her performance was bad. She's clearly British. Her accent comes through a bunch in, in the movie. Um, but then you have you know someone like Ellen Bernstein who is. You know, one of the best yeah. to ever do it. And she's really kind of comically bad in this, I thought. Really heavy handed in it, you know? Like yeah. A, a very, and, very, very obvious act, you know, heavy handedness in her acting, I think, on this. Yeah. And especially since she is playing 
Lord or Lady Summer's Isle, Summer's Isle, not Summer Isle. Which that doesn't is, even of roll course, off the tongue, you know what I mean? Summer's Isle? Yeah, yeah, I don't, I think there was, I can't remember it exactly, but I remember in the commentary he brought that up. Uh, that it was just, he's, I think he said something like, well, I just kept saying Summer's Isle, so I changed it to Summer's Isle. So, okay, now it's Summer's Isle. So this, too, this, I, so this I, fucking guy can't speak the right way. We got, <laughs> he has to, suffer. everyone's got to suffer because of that? It's yeah, it's a stupid right? change. It's really stupid, yeah. But, I mean, you're up against a giant when you're up against, like, you're playing a, a role originally played by Christopher Lee, and what is Christopher Lee's favorite role he ever played was Lord Summer Isle. And uh, I would doubt highly that Ellen Bernson puts this role high up on her list of performances. Definitely not. Uh, yeah, and, and again, Christopher Lee plays the character much, you know, a little bit more relaxed. Seems like a, a fun guy, you know, uh, charming. He's nice to Howie. Uh, right off the bat, when 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 Nicolas Cage's character meets Summer's Isle, you sense that she hates him. I was going to bring this up too because the thing is, is in the original one, this is just part of their culture, man. That someone's got to go every now. And yeah, then. you know, they don't. There's no hate involved in it. It's just okay. We need a sacrifice. You know, we'll right? Find, it, find an outsider who like fits the criteria, but you get the sense with. Uh, in, in the remake that there's like this malice towards this guy toward Edward malice, you know? Yeah. I was going to say that name sounds very intentional. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, 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 it kind of spits in the face of their whole ideology. Like that's one thing in a lot of these pagan movies, like, you know, it's, and they even say it to Nicholas cage, like you should be honored. This is a great honor we're bestowing on you, but it doesn't feel like, like that at all no it feels like they they just want to kill some guy like from the modern world you know what i mean yeah exactly like in the original they sing summer is a coming like all happy while this guy horrifically burns to death and this they're chanting the drone must die which i can't believe who guy a guy who comes from the theater would write a line that bad yeah i, I agree you know <laughs> Um, so yeah, like their, their philosophy is, is completely at odds with their behavior completely. And, uh, since we're talking, did my, did the version you see have the B scene in it? Yes. Where they put the crown. Okay. Okay. So you did see the unrated cut. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, um, I, I rented this off of Amazon. So, um, yeah, probably I imagine it's the unrated cut. Yeah. When I saw this in the theater, it was the PG-13 version. And as far as I could tell, it was the exact same movie, except uh, the overhead shot of Cage getting overpowered dissolves into uh, him being carried to the Wicker Man. So all that stuff with the bees is cut out, but you uh. hear you hear the dialogue from that scene being played over the dissolve and i have to say it is one of the fucking funniest things i've ever seen i really remember because, that from the original from when i watched it on dvd ages ago ages ago so yeah because you don't see what's happening you just hear nicholas kid go oh your pictures hey what are you doing <laughs> oh god no my leg <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and I, I do remember that getting like a big laugh in the theater. Um, but, you know, that scene has become the kind of pinnacle of mocking this movie is Nicolas Cage going, oh, not the breeze. <laughs> and it's become a meme. It's become, you know, uh, and that's one of the reasons, again, I wanted to, to, to talk about this movie. Like, people, people who've never seen this movie make fun of it. Really? Uh, I, they just yeah, I remember. It. They just dismiss this film on basic principles, like just because they I, don't care, they don't want to see it. Well, I remember, like, uh, uh, my last job in LA, someone was like uh, playing playing that clip, uh, like uh, at work to be funny, and I was like, yeah, you know, like the, the original is one of the best horror movies ever made, and he's like, oh, I've never seen either one. What a douche! Yeah, I'm like, you're making fun of this. You've never seen it, and that. That has become like a thing of you don't want to like something or be seen as liking something that is uncool. And I think that like people had their minds made up about this movie from memes and things like that before they've even seen it. I mean, we talked a little bit about this, Mike, out there when we talked about season two of True Detective. I mean, it was uncool to like season two and everyone was constantly bagging on it. But when you just watch it and not think about that, I think season two of True Detective is, is fantastic, and it didn't really get a fair shake. I agree. I, I went into season two wanting to like it. I was like, I'm hoping that it was going to be different, but on the same level of quality as the first one. You know, and I I didn't dislike it. I just wasn't. I mean, I I didn't dislike season two, and then a few years later, I grow into love season two. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ex- yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's not season one, but. I wouldn't yeah, want it to be season are. one. I think it, yeah. season one works so perfectly because it's a standalone thing. Yeah, and that was sort of my attitude in seeing this. I know it's not the original. The original's always going to be there. I'm curious to see what someone else does with with this movie. And sure, it is comical and misguided, and I think it's unintentionally funny. Uh, but there is something to this movie that, that really charmed me. Um, what do you think about the ending in this? Like, even though you're going into it knowing what's going to happen, does it still work for you? Do you mean the uh, James Franco uh, ending? <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have some thoughts about that. But no, no, the Wicker Man scene. I mean, like, I like the original better. But, it, you know, I did, I, at that point, I was like, all right, here comes the part where they burn him alive in the Wicker Man. And it looked cool, you know. Yeah, it did. And... I still found I was surprised by how disturbing I still found that scene because, uh, well, you know, they tortured uh, it, uh, Nicholas Cage beforehand. They break his legs, which I guess kind of makes sense when you watch the original. They kind of pick Howie up and throw him in there, like walk up a ladder. Yeah, but like, you really kind of get the sense like he can just kind of probably like kick his way out of that thing. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that you know, Wicker is not known for its strength; it's known for its flammability. Right, yeah, and in this, they break his legs and they hoist him up like this. Wicker Man is probably two times bigger than the original. Like you, you get a sense this thing is like a lot taller. And I, I liked all that, and the fact that his daughter lights him up is really disturbing. And you get a bit more of Cage in the Wicker Man burning than you do uh, in the original movie. He just kind of screams, goes up, and that's that. Uh, you get a little bit more of that in here, like a 
each suffering, uh, this brutal, horrific death. That's a fucking horrible uh, way to die, man. Being burned alive. I, I, yeah, it, it, being burned alive in a wicker man while people chanting, "The drone must die." <laughs> <laughs> Dude. Um, yeah, it, it, I gotta say, like all you know, silliness aside, the ending really still got me in the theater because you know the whole time seeing it in the theater, I was like, "Are they gonna change the ending?" Like, are they really going to fucking light up one of the biggest movie stars in the world? And they did, so props to them for that. I mean, I don't know see how you could ever make this movie and change the ending, so good good on them for at least keeping that. Yeah, the, the ending kind of was, I definitely thought it was cool. Like, I mean, that's an iconic scene, you know, and, and I agree with some of the changes. Yeah, you would have to break someone's legs or restrain them somehow or bind them to put them in a wicker man and light them on fire, you know. Right, yeah, exactly. I, I, I totally got that. But apparently, studio executives found the ending uh, of the director's cut too horrific, like too sad of an ending, with the you know the Wicker Man burning, and then the head falls on the camera, cut to the end. Very kind of not exactly like the original ends, but very similar. Uh, in the theatrical cut, yeah, James Franco shows up in this. Like, <laughs> it's it's such a head scratcher, man. Like. Like, okay, so you wanted an additional ending to brighten up the ending, but it's still a very dark ending because it's basically like you see the two girls from the island, Willow and Lily Sobieski, and they're at a bar and they're like hitting on these two young cops. One of them is James Franco. And you get like, okay, James Franco is the next guy to be burned alive in The Wicker Man. Right, and it kind of like... Uh... Like, they're strangers. There's no emotional connection to him. And that's the thing that made me scratch my head, too, about, like, well, that's her ex-boyfriend, husband, whatever, father of her child. So, you know, it's like makes so there's some logic there, I guess, and this, which is well, missing. He, yeah. Well, no, because they're the, that's the point. They're going to get into these guys' lives, like have kids disappear. Oh, right. And they're going to pull right. the – yeah. They're going to pull that's the, I mean, I think that's what you're supposed to get out of that. But reading that the studio wanted a happier ending, I was like, this is not a happier ending. This is just more <laughs> misery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can see why uh, the director did not want to shoot that. It is utterly fucking pointless. It, it adds nothing to the movie except, I mean, I would imagine they had to say James Franco, you know, at least a couple grand. Yeah. Well, I don't think he was at, at the height of his, you know, popularity at that point. You know what I mean? That was That's true. Well, he, he was, I think. Yeah, uh, he was a known guy for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, not, I, I recognized him in the theater. Now, he's still canceled, right? James Franco. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. The last thing I saw him in was uh, the Disaster Artist. And that was quite a while ago now at this point. Like, five years? Apparently. So, yeah, had, maybe you're like, right. There was some trouble with him, apparently. Mm. You know, like. Women were coming out that you know they, they sh he showed them his dick or something like that. You know, mm. I'm not really sure what happened there. Um, uh, not really sure what happened. Maybe it was because of this movie. I mean, it's entirely possible. <laughs> Someone dug it up but, and they were like, "I want to destroy him because of his bit part at the end." Yeah, <laughs> you ruined that fucking wacky movie. Um, but when all is said and done, like, I was very annoyed by this whole meme thing and people bagging on something they've never seen. And my whole thought was, look, is this movie really that bad? And in my head, seeing it uh, again for the first time in oh, quite a while, 
it it is misguided and silly and and totally enjoyable for the wrong reasons. But I unapologetically like this movie. I it's think, just uh, wacky. What kind what kind of grade would you give this film though? See that I don't know. Like I mean for me personally, like I I enjoyed watching it. I've always enjoyed watching it. It's such a weird mishmash of tones that don't work, performances that don't work, uh, mixed with, you know, like these these great sets and costumes and, you know, the ending is still great. Um, it's tough to recommend to people, but I I, I enjoyed watching it. I'll, I'll always enjoy watching it. I guess, like, they didn't intend to make a camp classic, but that's exactly what they did. So I'm going to go... Three, hmm. three and a half, somewhere in there. Okay. Yeah, interesting. It's not a one. I mean, no, I, we, we've seen a lot of terrible movies we've that seen are not enjoyable to watch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about you? I, you see, I, I, uh, I, don't know, I, I, I'm a little bit on the other end of this thing with you, man. I, I uh, recommend people check it out for themselves for sure. Yet, yeah, in good conscience. I cannot give this a very high mark. So I'm going to give it a 2.5 out of 5. Okay. You know? I mean, that's not terrible. No. I mean, there's like some good good stuff in it. You know, the actors are good. It's shot well. It's got the uh, the great uh, Bad Lamenti score, which I'm really, I like all of his work for the most, well, not all of it. Unequivocally, I like all of his work. And, it's um, something different for him too. It's not what he's known for. Yeah, you know, but it adds like that, like I said, that this brooding ominousness to it, like in the beginning scenes, you know, I love that. That's a, and that's a late nineties, early two thousands thing, which I, you know, I sure get nostalgic about that period too, I guess, in some ways. Sure. Um, uh, you know, I gotta say at the end, if I if I saw uh Lily Sobieski, I would avoid her. Um, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um it's a very attractive lady, very beautiful woman, but there's this aura of chaos about her, which would scare me off, I think. Yeah, so good casting there. Yeah, great cast, you know? Yeah. Uh, James Franco, um, you know, blast from the past. <laughs> avoid. <laughs> you know? Yeah, avoid, avoid at all costs, apparently. You know, it's funny, like, there, you know, when he, li- he lived in, in Brooklyn for a while. Like, uh, well, of course he did. And I remember, like, uh, you know, when I was out certain places, I, I saw, like, uh, you know, um, in a bathroom at this bar, there was like for a great blowjob called James Franco, and there was like a <laughs> cell phone number underneath it, right? <laughs> and then like underneath that, he was like, "Oh yeah, man, that's my old number." <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, yeah." And um, oh wow! But the thing is, it's like, and you know, guys like this, you know, what I mean, like. You know, maybe like in in the when, t- when there was before social media and before like everyone having a phone with a camera on them. There's yeah, they're just dudes that I knew that if you were gonna go out with them that night, you were gonna see their dick eventually. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. You know, yeah. you would go from this place and you go to that place, and you're in a car, and then you're at it's like two o'clock in the morning, and then this guy pulls his dick out. You know? Yeah, and that's that's Jim Franco is what you're saying. And that's that's kind of the guy I imagine James Franco is, you know. 
Not okay. a bad, not a bad Here, guy, you know, but a little wild. Do you think this movie works any better if you replace James Franco with Nicolas Cage? Like they switch roles. Like Nicolas Cage shows up at the end of this, wow. and James Franco is Edward Malus. Is huh. the movie any better? No. <laughs> no, I, I think I don't think I don't think that Frank, the reversal of those roles would have really helped this film. Really. See, I think. I mean, we've talked about this before. Nicolas Cage can make or break a movie, and like I see, he is out of control on this movie. And it's, it, it in, in in Bad Lieutenant, it works because I can just see Werner Herzog like sitting back, smiling, like this is perfect. Just like yeah, this man is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and this <just> perfect. <laughs> yeah, very silly. Go ahead, switch your accents mid movie. No one will care. Um, but, like, yeah, here he's just running around acting insane. And I have to imagine those are Nicolas Cage choices that another actor wouldn't make. Like, uh, maybe James Franco would. Maybe, like, I think it would still be misguided, but I think it would be inherently less silly with maybe. a different actor. Maybe. You know, Franco right. is a great actor, too, man. Like, that's the thing. That's the sad part about all this is, like, I, you know, dude, I think that guy is, like, an incredible actor, and it just sucks that. No one's like brave enough to put him in a movie these days. Yeah, he's popped up in a few things in smaller roles. He did this movie, uh, I forget the name of it. Mogwai did the music for it. It's the only reason I watched some of it. Not good. Um, he's, he pops up here and there, but yeah, he had just come off of a uh, Golden Globe win for The Disaster Artist or, you know, best comedy film, something, I don't know. But that was, uh, like, so right like, before his Me Too moment, though, right? It was literally right before. It was the yeah. day before. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just remember going, oh, they, yeah, they got Franco. Uh, all right. Um, you knew that was But, funny. you know, I... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I don't know the guy. I don't know anyone who knows the guy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah, he, he's had that kind of vibe. Well... How the fuck does Mel Gibson still have a career? Mm. You know, like a James I Franco mean, has to like hide from everyone. You know, yeah. I mean, Mel Gibson has to be one of the bigger assholes in Hollywood. I mean, he has to be. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, he's gone that whole like Christian like, uh, or religious route. You know, yeah, fuck he that, Passion man. of the Christ and yeah. Well, no, um, I, I, I pa Passion of the Christ was a torture porn film, so that was awesome. You know. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I saw that in Germany actually, uh with like in the ancient the dead language with German subtitles. Mm. I saw it in a movie theater. <laughs> it was like That must have been an interesting experience. It was very interesting, man. You know what I mean? And um yeah, but Yeah. How does he have a career James Franco has to hide and how the fuck Hasn't someone called out like Tommy Lee or any of these like Motley Crue guys for all the dark shit they've done with women in the eighties? You know, that's an interesting point, which begs the maybe Sumner will remake the remake of the Wicker Man and put Tommy Lee in. <laughs> That'd be sick, man. Tommy Lee yeah. as as they have a different name, yet another name for him. You know? <laughs> I can see it. Well. That pretty much sums up our, our, our thoughts on the Wicker Man remake in 2006. I would say, you know, see for yourself, you know, and decide whether you like it or not. Don't let, you know, don't let dumb memes make up your mind for you. 
Yeah, uh, this one should should get some pretty interesting comments. I think <laughs> this this uh, this entry, you know. So yeah, of course. Well, you're supposed to hate this movie with 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 every ounce of your being, you know. But I uh, I just don't, and uh, I'm not sorry for it. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Take care. Take care. Screams and cries